I'm Kim Grenolds of Dogman.com with Chris Vetter, Scott Eklund. It's been a busy, busy couple of days. It's been a busy, busy couple of weeks with recruiting at UW and then the bombshell announcement of uh, excuse me, USC and UCLA leaving for the Big Ten. And where does that leave Washington and the other schools in the Pac-12? And Again, you know, a lot of stuff going on with recruiting, so we'll break that down as well. But first of all, yesterday morning with John Wilner putting out uh, a tweet, I can't remember the exact verbiage, but he said it would change the world or shock the world or something like that. And then the announcement that USC and UCLA are leaving the Pac-12 conference and heading to the Big Ten. And uh, boy, it just... There are there are so many uncertainties out there and how it impacts, you know, uh, revenues, recruiting the rest of the schools in the Pac-12. Just Scott, your initial reaction up front. Well, it it was shock that it happened as quickly as it did, but I don't think it surprises me that there was going to be some movement. I thought there would be here in the next, you know, four to six, seven, eight years. Uh, we would have seen a lot of this stuff. I didn't think it was going to happen yesterday. <laughs> so that was my first thing. Then it was like, all right, well, what what does this mean for the University of Washington? Are they going to follow them? Are they going to look and do that? Are they going to look to stay in the Pac-12? Are they going to possibly go to the Big 12? Lots of things went through my head. But first of all, I just said, geez, there's so many things I could drive myself crazy. So I'm just going to um, <laughs> kind of watch and see what happens here over the next uh, week and a half or so. Chris, surprised at all this happened and timing-wise on this? Well, I'm kind of with Scott. I'm not surprised at all because you go all the way back to the beginning of Larry Scott's tenure and his attempt to try to lure a bunch of teams like Texas and Oklahoma out west. Um, This kind of conference realignment has always been kind of bubbling beneath the surface. So the timing of it it has to do with finances because they don't want to get penalized if they tell the Pac-12 more than two years in advance that they're going to leave. Um, so any teams out, you know, any teams, Pac-12 teams, if they decide to leave now uh, or a little bit later, we'll probably have to incur some sort of penalty. But that being said, yeah, I'm not I'm not really too shocked about it. I, I'm disappointed and super sad about it. Shouldn't be happening. Um, there's decades and decades of tradition, history. All these things kind of go up in smoke. Um, who knows what's going to happen with the Apple Cup, for instance? Who knows what's going to happen with all these traditional rivalries and things like that. It's it's a real mess. I think it's really interesting that, you know, we didn't pay. It's funny. Things happen that you don't pay much attention to. And then something else happens. And then you look back on the thing you just kind of glossed over. And that thing being that, you know, the Big Ten put their media rights negotiations on hold. And now looking back, it gives you an idea of why, you know, because Scottish Church just seems like this is just a, a big money thing. And, you know, USC uh, and UCLA, obviously, you know, the big markets, you know, for the conference and maybe feel like they're subsidizing everybody else. Well, yeah, I mean, they can think that they they aren't, you know, not everybody else. There are a lot of the other schools, maybe, but not everybody else. But um, you know, as far as it being a money thing, I think it's pretty obvious. I mean, John Wilner posted it that this was all driven by Fox. Uh, ESPN drove the SEC expansion with uh, Texas and Oklahoma. What was that just last year? Jeez, um, I think it was just last year. And um, you know, there, there, and Wilner said uh, the Fox is pushing S- USC and uh, you know into the Big Ten, and and I don't. The good thing that Washington has going for it is that it's in the 12th or 13th 
uh, media market. And that's a desirable market for a lot of these schools to get into. And so um, I think Washington's in a strong position to possibly negotiate their way into going somewhere. But, um, you know, I, I, I think the timing of this, though, is definitely money related. I don't think it's anything more than that. And Chris, I think the thing, I think Wilner nailed it on one point. I think a lot of people are glossing over because this, it, this is about money, you know, no matter what anybody says. And when you're negotiating a contract for media rights, each school in the Big Ten is anticipated to net about a hundred million dollars per school per year. And when you take a look at USC and UCLA, would those schools bring a hundred million dollars worth of value to the conference and I think the answer to that would be yes but if they add Washington and Oregon are they worth a hundred million dollars a year I think that's the big question yeah the bean counters are going to have to solve that problem if, if there is a Pac-12 school out there that can be a value add up to that point Washington has to be the one um, Oregon certainly has a name brand and certainly has national recognition right now but when it comes to things the Big 12 or Big 10 craves, like in the past, in, ter- in terms of academics, things like that, Oregon doesn't, doesn't necessarily have that kind of resume. They don't have the TV market. Washington has the TV market. Washington has the academics. The only thing Washington lacks right now is just the recent success, football, basketball, all that kind of stuff. And that's super important. So there really is no perfect fit for the Big 10 other than Notre Dame. Notre Dame is their big cash cow that they're going after. Now, could they go ACC and look at a Florida State, Clemson, North Carolina, things like that? Sure. They've already shown that they're going coast to coast. They've, they've already picked up the big three media markets in America when you look at New York, Chicago, and L.A. So there's so many possibilities out there. But, you know, like you said, Kim, it's all about money at this point, And that's well, unfortunate. Well, Chris, you know, the thing of it is, and I know, you know, Oregon fans are going nuts for me saying this, but, you know, Washington has the TV market. They have that footprint. Oregon has the brand right now as the shiny new object, you know, with all the Nike, all that kind of stuff. But, you know, where are they when it comes to, you know, TV market? And does that translate to dollars? Does the brand translate to dollars? Well, I, I think that's the big question. One one big thing, too, though, if, if and, and Chris is 100 percent right with, with his analysis that, Oregon is, you know, has the national brand that they that they are, but Washington has the media market and academics that match up with the Big Ten. Well, who's the other school that isn't a private school? That's a public school that matches up with all those things. And that's Cal. And but I haven't heard Cal in discussions for them at all. So um, I don't yeah, know if because, that's well, because if you look at it, the Bay Area actually is a bigger media market than yeah. Seattle. Yeah. But, and that's. And they got the academics. But so. are they considered more apathetic in terms of the fan base, in terms of Maybe. eyeballs yeah. on TVs? You know, there's so much more that goes into it. That's why I said there's really no perfect candidate if you look out west other than USC and UCLA. And that's because their media market is so incredibly huge. It dwarfs anybody else in the conference. Well, Chris, I you know, I, I don't remember what it was, but I thought that there was some connection with the state of California and the colleges had some link. Um, I'm trying to figure out how to articulate it, but there was some kind of a link between the colleges, between uh, Cal and um, uh, UCLA. Well, they're all part of, a part, part of the UC system. 
Yeah, right. all the... public universities within the UC system. So obviously the, the thought was is that UCLA was going to have to kind of untangle themselves from that. I, I'm guessing either that there was some some concessions made or something, because if you, you talked about the finances, Kim, and just how much is, is, is at stake here. If Washington and Oregon go to the Big Ten, they're liable to triple their revenue from what they had this, you know, the last few years from the uh, Pac-12 contract, media contract. Um, you know, this is where things like the Pac-12 networks and things like this just become a complete, you know, albatross around the conference's head. The money is the object here. So I think at some point UCLA must have told the other schools in the UC system, probably including Cal Berkeley, that um, that there was going to be some revenue or something down the road to probably appease them. Well, and kind of like, you know, Wilner said, you know, when you take a look at what the media rights are going to be worth, does adding Washington and Oregon, does that dilute another school's share or does it increase the pie more than what it would be without them? Do they add to the pie or do they subtract from the other schools? And I think that's the main question. And like you said, I think that's up to the bean counters. Does it make financial sense to do that? And then we talk in financial senses. If you take a look at the map, and I'm sure many of you have seen it out on Twitter, where that would leave the you know the Big Ten conference-wise, everything is in the Midwest and on the East Coast. And then you know 1,500 miles away is USC and um, UCLA. But, you know, we're talking, you know, everybody's just focusing on football. You know, what about basketball? What about women's basketball, baseball, softball, all the other sports, you know, and the travel expenses and just, you know, every every road trip is just a huge trip. So lots of stuff to work through on that. But, boy, those are not fun trips, especially for a basketball team, if you're having to make those kind of trips. And I can't imagine that the Midwest teams are going to be thrilled with going out to the West Coast either. Well, and I think, to be honest with you, Kim, that kind of thing, the logistics and the geography of it, it almost necessitates USC and UCLA getting West Coast partners. And that's where I think the Big Ten is, if they wanted this L.A. media market, they're going to have to concede that they're going to need perhaps Stanford and Cal as, as partners, Washington and Oregon as partners, perhaps even the Arizona schools as partners. You could almost conceivably see a Big Ten out west with six or eight teams. I just don't know how far they want to expand or how far they want to go in this particular scenario. But to me, it's clear they're going to need at least two to four partners out west to make this thing even remotely feasible from a logistics standpoint. And I can't name the source, but a very, very uh, somebody close to the situation, you know, when um, I had a conversation with them, um, the exact quote was, and the tone of voice changed when this was said, um, Washington will not be left behind. So, um, and I honestly believe that. I just think Washington is too big of an entity with too big of a media market, but uh, too big to fail. Right. Kim. Um, (laughs) yeah, well, yeah, yeah, David Stern didn't seem to care, but, um, you know, um, I, I, I I think Washington is going to be a good place, but you know, it's just such a rabbit hole to go down to. You start getting down that rabbit hole, there's 25 more beneath the surface. So there's just so many variables, but at the end of the day, I still think it's a money thing. I still think it's a money grab. 
Uh, yeah, I, and I, I, I listened to a lot of people yesterday on it, whether we're talking about Wilner, Canzano, some of the national guys, obviously listen to the podcast of Champions guys with Ryan Abraham, uh, David Woods talking about how it impacts their schools with USC and UCLA. But if you go by and you look at what's going on in the Midwest, there's a lot of people that have been foreshadowing this for months now. They're Depending on who you listen to and who you trust, there are guys out there that feel like there's been a lot of due diligence and a lot of communication under the surface between the Big Ten Conference and Notre Dame, for instance. So a decision maybe on Notre Dame could come pretty quickly, depending on who you, like, again, who you trust. Um, I have to think that the Big Ten, they knew – you know, what their end game was on this. And so now it's just a matter of reading between the lines and trying to figure out, okay, how big do they want to make this thing? We understand it's ESPN versus Fox. ESPN owns the SEC. Fox owns the Big Ten. How far are they going to ratchet up this arms race? Are they, you know, is the Big Ten going to cap it at 20 teams or 24 teams? How big is this super conference going to go? Because I think now that they've started this domino effect, how far is this thing going to go? That's really the ultimate question. Well, you mentioned Fox and ESPN, and I don't think those are the only two players, you know, in the picture right now. Because you take a look at what Apple is doing, and a lot of people expect Apple to be the um, the new platform for DirecTV for the NFL. And if they're going to, if you see Apple get into the sports media. I can promise you Amazon's going to get into it and they already have. And you could see Microsoft and Google get into it as well. So there's going to be a lot of players out there. So I think it's going to be real interesting with the media rights. And there again, I still just maintain this is all about media rights and it's all about the paydays. But, you know, unfortunately, I think some of the schools are going to get left in the dust, like Washington State and Oregon State. And, you know, what's going to happen to schools like that? Would the Big Ten possibly boot a couple of schools? I don't know. But the other things, you know, that I've heard is lawyers and lawsuits, you know, so we'll have to see where all of that plays out. Oh, yeah. Well, no, Kim, first of all, Apple TV, they just um, in the last week or two, they just. Uh, partnered up with MLS. They're going to yeah. be like the main media option for MLS. I don't remember when the contract starts, but it's soon in the next year or two. And that's, you know, bottom line is I think in some ways you got to look at this as kind of the last roll of the dice for the traditional media like ESPN and Fox to try to stay relevant because they're seeing the Apples, they're seeing the Amazons, they're seeing the Googles and the Netflixes and all these things coming down the path because streaming is going to become is if it hasn't already become the thing, it's becoming the thing and it's going to outpace traditional cable and TV options very quickly. And so this is their way of trying to maybe stay one step ahead if they can. That's that's how I read it. I'll tell you what, I think the most nervous people are the the bowl game executives, because when you take a look at places like the Rose Bowl, Orange Bowl and all these other bowl games there's a lot of executives making a lot of money on that kind of stuff and those are the guys are probably a little bit afraid you know because of the rose bowl you know who knows what that's going to look like in five years yeah i, I mean yeah. not not to go down the rabbit hole too much but i i don't i think the uh, bowl system is i mean you might call some of the playoff games and destinations the rose bowl or something like that but i think the bowl games are going the way of the dodo here in the next five to ten years they'll be gone yeah, it's sad because it's it's yes, you don't know what the Rose Bowl situation is going to be like, especially now that it's obviously one of the big six that's connected with the college football playoff. You know, but again, what about the lesser rivalries? What about when I say lesser rivalries, I'm talking about the traditional rivalries that usually are in state 
like the apple cuff, like the, the, the used to be the civil war. I don't know what they call it now, but um, you know, victory bell stays intact, obviously because USC and UCLA, but territorial cup with Arizona, Arizona state, how's that going to, you know, are they going to yeah, still and, and try to do stuff? That's probably the least of the concerns. I mean, BYU and Utah figure out a way to make it work. Colorado, Colorado State makes uh, makes it work. And there's a lot of those traditional rivalries that aren't conference rivalries. They still make them work. And I have no doubt in my mind that the Apple Cup will continue, whether they're conference partners or not. The Civil War with Oregon and Oregon State will continue, whether they're conference partners or not. You know, what will be interesting is, if you know they go to the Big Ten, how many conference games would they have? Would they have eight or nine? And then you know your traditional rivalry, and you'd only have two other games to put on your schedule. And there again, if you've got Washington with you know the twelve game schedule, and they're playing nine conference games plus Wazoo, the, there is your tenth game, and you'll only have two non conference games. But could you afford to bring in another big time school? with that brutal schedule you're going to face in the, in the big 10 conference. Yeah. And the scheduling is going to be the absolute crux of all this stuff, because you, like you said, Kim, depending on if it's eight or nine conference games, you know, where does the big 10 jump off on this merry-go-round in terms of, do they want to have two 10 team sub conferences like in East and West? Do they go to like four 16 conferences or do they just keep going down the, the, the the trail and and how far does it go i mean you could you could literally because right now because we've talked about how they've literally gone from coast to coast they have all the major media markets right now they could go in any direction they want it, and it's that's the crazy part about it i'm really curious to see where they end up on this thing because how many teams they un, end up with will ultimately determine how they subdivide their conference and then we will see how the the schedules work out from there you know chris and um one of the things that you just kind of brushed off on the message boards uh yesterday was um the political angle on this and this is another thing i've heard is don't underestimate the political angles on this and what that means i don't know but when there's money involved hands come out and you know it'll be interesting to see the politics you know, if that I can promise you it's going to enter the picture picture down in California. I wouldn't be surprised if it enters the picture up here in Washington. I don't know about Oregon, but, you know, the the politics when there's this much money, it, it could be a factor. What that means, I don't know. But I just as I've been told, don't underestimate the political angles on this. Well, I trust me, I'm not I would never underestimate it or brush it aside. My only problem with it is that when it comes to the football board, those things that involve a, a political bent eventually devolve. Into, oh, yeah. Into, and, and that's and we can't have that. We can't have that. You can talk about the political aspect of this thing or what angle it may take from a political point of view, but you have to do it without devolving into the left versus right versus whatever, because that's that has nothing to do with anything. Like you said, this is a dollars and cents issue. This isn't a left versus right issue, because trust me, California made it happen. <laughs> and if California made it happen, Washington can make it happen. Oregon can make it happen. That's you, why, to me, there's going to be a political angle to all of this, for sure. But it think, won't be an obstacle that can't be overcome. 
Scott, you think George Klyovkov is sitting in his office the last couple of days going, what the hell just happened and what did I get into? Yeah, well, what what I, kind of bums me out is I think he was going to be really great for the conference. I just wish he had been the guy that they hired when Larry Scott was hired. So, you know, he I think he has many better ideas. I think he's smarter than Larry Scott. I think he he was going to be able to do a lot more things. Um, I hope if, if for some reason the Pac-12 dissolves and it sounds like, I mean, it sure looks like that's probably where things are headed, but who knows. But um, I hope he stays in sports uh, management one way or the other because I think he's a smart person and I think he would do well for whichever organization he stays in. Yeah, if Larry Scott was still involved, he's probably trying to find a way for the other schools to join with the Ivy League and that would be his uh, <laughs> that would be his goal. But Anyways, um, hey, before we get into the recruiting, just final thoughts just on all of this, Chris. Well, just with looking at it with a, a real sense of mixed emotions. I mean, super sad. I mean, I grew up in the Pac-8, Pac-10, Pac-12. I grew up watching this thing. It's a big reason why I'm doing what I'm doing today was because of West Coast football. And it feels like within a matter of days, all the tradition, all the history, all the connections, all the rivalries, all this, that, and the other thing, it feels like it literally fall apart, all of it. I hope that's not the case. I hope that uh, the Pac-12 can salvage this and turn this into a real positive and turn it into something special. Because as you talked about, Kim, the, the, the contract, the media contract's coming up in a year or two. Some serious negotiations are having to start if they haven't already started. Um, this is an important time for the conference, and it was already going to be an important time for the conference before this bombshell hit. So I'm I'm really sad of the timing, super disappointed, don't want this to happen, um, never wanted this to happen. But the fact is, it is happening, and Washington's got to scramble to get a life vest, and they're in a very, very good position to do it. And I think they can create something with the Big Ten that could – to that could really turn um, their situation into a positive. And I think that's what Washington fans have to look forward to right now. Anything to add before we get into the recruiting aspect, Scott? No, I mean, Chris, I mean, I, I could echo everything Chris said. I'm sad. I'm more sad than excited about it. But since it's the reality, I'm excited to see where things kind of go. And I think, like Chris said, I think Washington's in a strong position to put themselves uh, in, in the right spot and, and be able to move forward with the big boys. But we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, my reaction is grab your popcorn because there's going to be a lot of stuff going on. But, you know, just, you know, when there's this kind of drama, I know some people just get all wound up, you know, and they react to every everything that happens. And I'm just not wired like that. You know, I'm just kind of one, I'll, you know, get back to me in a little bit and let's just see how things play out. And I think that's what we're going to need to do is just see how things play out, because I think it's going to be a, a lot of twists and turns. And, you know, who knows how long this is going to take? Would it surprise me if we saw something in the next couple of days? No. Would it surprise me six months if we're still at the same place, you know, still with a lot of hand wringing going on? No. So we just don't know. And this is all fairly new. So uh, Media Day, just FYI, is down in Los Angeles on July 29th. Uh, George Klyovkov will be there. I'm expecting that to be heavily attended. So glad I got my ducks all in a row. I will be there on July 29th. So uh, I hope you bought refundable tickets, Kim. (laughs) Um, I'll go anyways. It's down in L.A. So anyways, so uh, hey, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, lots and lots and lots of recruiting things to cover. So uh, hang with us. We'll be back shortly. It's the guys from Dogman.com on Dogman Radio. 
Welcome back. I'm Kim Grenells along with Chris Fetter, Scott Eklund. It's the guys from dogman.com. And other than just the big bombshell of the Pac-12 diminished by two with USC and UCLA heading to the Big Ten. Uh, there's a lot of recruiting stuff going on as well with commitments just moments ago. Just another big commitment from the university to the University of Washington. But, Scott, you know, before we get into that real quick, you've talked to some kids about, you know, what that impact of uh, USC, UCLA leaving to the Big Ten, what impact that has. And what are you hearing from recruits? Well, I. You know, I, I talked to several recruits. I was just like, did you hear about the news? And and they were like, yeah, I heard it. And I don't think this is having much of an impact. People are wondering if is UW going to lose commits now? Is are USC and UCLA going to lose commits? Is Oregon going to lose? You know, all these all this different stuff. I got so many texts yesterday and messages in my inbox and also uh, in my DMs on Twitter with people asking me all these questions. And I just said, hey, I said right now, I said. 16, 17 year old kid, they're not thinking that far ahead. You know, they're not, they're not thinking two years ahead. They're thinking, um, you know, what am I going to, what, you know, what, what lake are we going to go play on this weekend? (laughs) You know, so um, right now that's not really on the top of their mind. Maybe as they get a little bit closer, maybe, I don't know. But I think if Washington, if something is announced here in the next week, two weeks, whatever it is, um, for for Washington joining this, um, I don't think it's going to have much of an impact. And honestly, I think a lot of these kids would be pretty excited to be playing the chance to play uh, Ohio State and Michigan and Michigan State and Penn State and all these high end schools that are in the pack are the Big Ten. And I, I think they'd be excited to be on a national stage like that. So, Scott, Scott one thing I would add real quick. Uh-huh. Who's the one team that was able to really capitalize over the years when USC and UCLA we're struggling to keep recruits in the LA area. Oh, it was Oregon. So and, how, and how was Washington this? a little bit, but Washington Oregon to a lesser be. extent, but Oregon yeah. was able to clean up big time. Mm-hmm. You know, you look at Kayvon Thibodeau. You, you could go all the way back to oh, Anthony D- D- Thomas. Thomas. Yeah, you, I mean, you, you, there are, there are top guys that have gone from Southern California to Oregon because USC and UCLA struggled. They didn't want to necessarily play in the Pac-12 footprint because there wasn't much future in terms of what those programs were offering. Now, who wouldn't stay in L.A. if you're playing if, if you've got a chance to play for USC and UCLA, especially when you're competing with the, yeah. the Ohio States and Michigans and Penn States, and Michigan States, what have you? Nebraska's, you know, and 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 the ver- converse is true. You, I don't know if you guys saw the Nebraska statement on um, those two teams entering the Big Ten. They were talking about Calibraska. They were talking about being able to go back into L.A. and do some of the things of recruiting that they've been able to do in the past. So it works both ways. But I would tell you, if there is one team that's looking at all this stuff and going, God, I wonder how we're going to compete now. It could be Oregon. Hey Scott, you know the problem with doing a podcast. Timing wise, what we're doing, we just got a commitment and then they may not be done. I mean, are they done today? Are they done tomorrow? Are they done on the 4th of July? Uh, we can still see more activity because we got a couple. We we got a couple more stories in the bag just kind of waiting for things to happen. But yep. uh, one commitment today, is that what you're expecting? Just the uh, one. Yeah, just the one from Leroy uh, Bryant, who just committed uh, relatively recently. Um, He, you know, he's a cornerback out of Southern California. Washington has been on him for a little while now. He and I talked right after his 
um, right after he got his offer from the University of Washington. He was really excited about it. A lot of these DBs have been talking to me about it being DBU, and I, I've asked several of them about, hey, you know, I Washington does have that rep, but, um, you know, it was the old staff, and they said, yeah, but, you know, Coach Coach Brown and Coach Morrell put guys in the NFL, and and I, I just believe in what they're doing up there, and they have their reputation, and they said they, they aren't going to let go of that DBU reputation, so... I think as long as Washington secondary looks pretty good this this uh, fall, I don't I don't think they're going to take much of a drop off when it comes to defensive backs. You're going to have to inform people a little bit about Leroy Bryant. What position do you expect him to play? He's not rated, but he's kind of a guy who shot up, uh, you know, on the uh, radar here he, recently. Yeah, he, he he's climbed up a lot of people's boards uh, recently. And, you know, I, I think at his his size and with his ball skills and everything like that, I think he's a guy who's going to play corner when he gets to college. He's just, he's got that build six foot, 175 pounds, great change of direction. Um, you know, I, I, you know what, I didn't look up his stats from, from last, uh, last year or anything like that, but, uh, you know, I saw him, I saw him at the Under Armour, uh, event down at, um, down at, uh, the, down in Southern California. I'm trying to remember the high school it was at, but, um, so our mission Viejo high school is where it was at. And I saw him, he looked good. He didn't really stand out to me compared to some of the other guys, but, uh, yeah, he was a guy that I think the coaches really, really liked. And, and he has offers from quite a few schools. He chose Washington over Arizona, Oregon, Oregon State, Utah, Washington State, those were all schools that had offered him. He was getting looked at by UCLA and USC. UCLA was a little bit late in offering him. They haven't offered him yet, but I think they could come in with a late offer on him and that's all that'll always be interesting to see how that that plays out, but I think Washington did a really good job recruiting him and showing him why they were the school for him to choose. He came up, took his official visit. It's the only one he took. And Washington uh, ended up reaping the the rewards of their aggressiveness. Hey, Scott, real quick. I just want to make sure people understand. He's from a, a school in Fairfield, California, which is in Northern California. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm not sorry. I, yeah. I, I'm not good on my my. Uh, <laughs> my yeah, it's, uh, geography. Well, it's East Bay. It's East yeah. Bay. It's kind of more upper, upper kind of Northeast Bay. Yeah, that's my fault. Right, so. and also also eighteen offers. So yeah, even yeah, though he's, he's got eighteen uh, offers, eighteen yeah. offers, and you kind of look down the list, you know, and like you said, Oregon, Oregon State, Utah, Colorado, uh, Washington. But the one that jumps out that just kind of gives you an idea of what you're getting. He had an offer from Yale. Mm-hmm. You know, yep. so. Yep. And those those seem to be the type of kids we're carrying on the tradition of Chris Peterson, you know, uh, recruiting kids where academics are important. He's got an offer from Yale. So um, and just um, I don't know if, Chris, if you want to chime in on this, but with getting another defensive back, um, you know, Josiah Wagner put out his uh, top list and did not include Washington. Caleb Presley put out his top list. And those are both two local corners. But I don't expect either one of them to wind up at Washington. Is this pretty much close that door uh, for either one of those guys? Yeah, I know Caleb Presley put him in the and in, in put Washington in his final six. I don't know if that's just a obligatory to, to appease to appease the local fans or what that could be. I have no idea. Um, but with Bryant's commitment, that's at least the third public commit that we know for defensive backs. Vincent Holmes from San Jacinto uh, down in California, very coveted kid, four-star kid. You know, I think, I don't know if they're thinking corner or Husky for him. I don't know yet. Um, but then you also look at a guy 
uh, like Diesel Gordon um, from down in uh, he's definitely Arlington, a husky. Texas, from the yeah, he's from the Metroplex. He's he's definitely a safety, right? Well, he's a husky. That's where right. he's probably going to go. Okay. And Vin, Vince Holmes is probably going to be just a safety. Right. Scott, when you say he's a husky, explain to people that's slot, the position. It's basically a slot corner. Yeah, he's he's they call it the husky. They they brought that up from Fresno State. They call it the husky position because he's got to be able to play the run and the pass. He's got to be able to cover and play in the box a little bit. So he's kind of a hybrid strong safety slot corner is what you can really look at him as maybe as an outside linebacker, a small outside linebacker, if you want to look at him that way. But Diesel Gordon is the guy they have, at least that's what they've told him is that's where they plan to start him out is at the Husky and they plan to start Vincent Holmes at safety. Um, but a lot of these guys can do multiple things in the secondary. I think Leroy Bryant is your first true corner commit. I would also add too that, you know, you've got those three and then, cause we were talking about Josiah Wagner. We were talking um about uh, Caleb Presley you know they have a lot of other guys in the periphery especially guys that have recently taken official visits to Washington Curly Reed from Louisiana is is one that was getting a lot of mention he just visited you've got Jordan Sanford from uh Mansfield Timberview in Texas uh people might remember um oh what was his name Walker um Greg Walker Greg Walker he that's his high school that so would be Dr. Actually, Greg Walker. Yeah, Dr. Greg Walker. Yeah. There is a connection between Mansfield Timberview and Washington. So uh, Jordan Sanford's another kid, defensive back, highly recruited, four-star guy who's gotten a lot of mention, just recently visited. Um, Scott, I don't remember Ethan O'Connor from Los Alamitos. Is he defensive or, or offense? I, uh, I think he's the defensive guy. That's what he, he okay, was so offered by them. Yeah, he's a two-way player for them, uh, star. He's, you know, he's he just took a recent visit. So you've got a number of guys that have recently visited um, that they've still got on the hook, too. So even though Presley and Wagner, that's a disappointing thing that they're not able to keep those local guys home, presumably. But it's it's not like there's not a lot of interest from a, no, a number of other guys that have recently visited. Yesterday, commitment, big commit in size, uh, 6'9", Soani Fausalo. I think that's how you pronounce it. Yeah, yeah, big kid from uh, Menlo Atherton, which is the same high school that Daniel Haymuli and Noah Ngalu uh, were at. Uh, Daniel Haymuli is the only one left on the roster. Uh, Noah uh, has transferred, but you know, I he's he's just a big project. I mean, he's a big pile of clay. It's what you can really look at him as. And Brandon Huffman called him that basically on the board. Just say said he's a blank slate. You know, Scott Huff is getting a guy who he can just mold from the very beginning of his journey as a football player. And, and I think that's really appealing to Scott Huff. The guy can bend. If you watch, if you watch him, there's a lot of six, nine guys. You remember Zach Banner was about what? Six, eight, six, nine. Six, eight, yeah. yeah. He, he had some struggles bending for a long time. Now, some of that was, he had some surgeries on his, was his hip flexors, whatever yeah. it was, but he had to have some surgeries to help him with that. This guy already can move like that and bend like that. And I think that's a big thing. And when they go and watch a guy like that, he's very raw, um, doesn't really know how to do anything other than kind of get in guys' ways at this point. I think one of the reasons you take him, he's the project. He's the guy that you're like, hey, this guy I'm not counting on for two to three years. 
we're going to get him in our system. We're going to get him stronger. We're going to get him working and learning our, our technique and what we're going to do. And, and when he's a redshirt sophomore, that's when we think he can push for, at the very least, a backup role on our team and maybe as a junior and senior be a starter for us. 6'9", you know, two, what is he, 270, 280, whatever he is. Um, you know, I talked to him right after his offer. He is not a guy who likes talking to people. So we have no one has been able to get a hold of him at this point. Um, but uh, talented kid. And I think that's why this is the guy you got. You got three good guys. You got Landon Hatchett, who we're going to talk about in a second. You got Elisha Juquette and you got Nate, Nate uh, Henning, uh, um, you know, or, you know, who, who have all committed to the University of Washington or Nick Henning, who's all exactly Zach, Zach, geez, Louise. Zachary Henning, who've all committed to the University of Washington, and those guys are guys who may may not be ready to come in and play right away, but they'll be able to play, you know, within a year, maybe two. But Fausalo is the guy who you take as the project, who you're like, hey, we won't need him for a few years, and and that's why we're bringing him in. And Chris, one of the interesting things here too, um, when you take a look at the size of uh, Fausalo. And we keep on hearing from, you know, coaches and people, you know, associated with the program, they want to get bigger and they want to get longer. And this guy is definitely that. But when you're talking about getting bigger and longer, we've been hearing for quite some time, you know, when it came to Garen Hatchett and Micah Banuelos out of Kennedy, that they would probably only wind up with one of the two. And when you take a look at Garen Hatchett, excuse me, Landon, Landon Hatchett at 6'5", and I know that a lot of people are listing Ban Walos at six three, but you know a lot of people are telling me he's more six foot six one and doesn't have the longest arms. How much did that go into the situation with Ban Walos versus Hatchet, or maybe them going after Hatchet a little bit more than Ban Walos based upon that length and size, or did they just lose out on Ban Walos? Well, I think Ban Walos is his. From what I understand, I've I've heard his priorities changed once he actually got a, a taste of what was out there on the outside, outside of the Northwest, Texas, for instance. Texas A&M. Yeah. No, I mean, you take a trip to Texas A&M and you listen to their sales pitch and all of a sudden you come back to Seattle going, that's interesting. That's a different perspective. Yeah. I kind of like that. Yeah. So I, I'm, I, I think that's all part of the recruiting process. And that's a positive thing. That's a good thing. Guys need to go out and see what their options are. They need to see what's out there in the in the world to see what makes sense for them and what works for them in terms of a fit. Now, you say Landon Hatchet in six five. I don't think he's close to six five. Um, I'm thinking he's shorter than his brother, and his brother's not six five. I, I think Landon's about six two, maybe. Yeah, it's six two six. He's listed at six three two ninety five. Point being is the biggest over the biggest obstacle that it was that that Washington had to overcome for Landon Hatchett, as we've come to find out was the fact that he didn't see a path forward at Washington because of his brother. He wants to play with his brother, but he didn't understand that there was a possibility he could play side by side with his brother. He thought he would just be come in and he'd be a center and he'd be behind Kieran. But once, once Scott Huff and the coaches laid the plan out, then he could see a future for himself, and I think that was the biggest hurdle. Once that once that barrier was broken, Landon Hatch at the Washington was going to be a done deal, in my opinion. Yeah, and Scott, tell me about uh, or tell the people out here a little bit uh, Banuelos versus Hatchet. 
Well, I, I mean, Ben Walos is more of a project. He 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 isn't a project like Fa'a Solo is a uh, is a project because he's had a little bit more, uh, you know, training than than Fa'a Solo did. But uh, Landon Hatchett's a guy who can come in and he might not be able to play right away, but he's not going to ha- take very long. He's a he's a mauler. He can get after you, and uh, he's a strict strictly a center. Um, possibly a guard if you really need him to play, but he he's going to play center. That's what he does. That's what he does well. He's pretty good at it. Um, but he's also been snapping under where the guy has been under center, the quarterback, because they play in that wing tee. And so it'll be interesting to see how he handles snapping in shotgun. But Micah Banuelos plays left or right tackle for um, for uh, Kennedy. And he's going to be a guy who's going to need to move it, slide inside. So he's going to need another year or two uh, just to work on that, get used to playing those positions. And and uh, I think Landon's going to be more ready. Banuelos's uh, uh, a ceiling might be a little higher than than Landon Hashett's, but uh, that's going to take a lot of work. So we'll see. I like watching the baseball highlights of Landon Hatchett. I like the flow. I like the <laughs> I, man his. He just embraces the hair thing. I think it's pretty funny. I like it. Out of the it. three of us, I could get away with that. You think I could pull it off? Oh yeah, you could. You could do that. Yeah, yeah. even with the even with the uh, thinning hair up at top. But yeah, you know the Jimmy Rogers flow, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, but if you haven't seen Landon Hatchett's baseball highlights, I mean, oh, he can crank it. He's <laughs> yeah. just yeah, yeah. Cecil Fielder. That's yeah. what I think when he just I turns it. on that ball, man. It's. He's got a big upper body and his, and his uh, the torque that he gets is pretty impressive. Yeah, we uh, when we did radio at KJR, I hadn't seen him for a while, but when we did radio on uh, Monday and we walked in and Bucky Jacobson was there, I think we forgot how big Bucky was. Yeah, yeah, you do. You forget how big some of these guys are. Yeah, no, it was kind of funny having a conversation yeah. with him, but uh, you know they got the quarterback Scott, and mm-hmm. it's kind of interesting. You take a list down there. Um, He's uh, from South Dakota, and you take a look at his offer list. You know, he's got an or- offer from uh, North Dakota State, Wyoming, Arkansas State, Washington. And then the one that's kind of interesting, he, he had an offer from Wisconsin as well. Yeah, yeah. And, I, you know, th- it's funny because I talked to uh, somebody close to his recruitment, and, and this person was like, yeah, Lincoln went into this thinking, oh, after he got the North Dakota State offer, he was just going to commit. And then all of a sudden, Wisconsin comes in. And Washington flies out on their day off. On his day off from spring ball, Ryan Grubb flies all the way out, watches a workout, and offers him. That's I think that made an impression on him. And and I think Washington did a good job of recruiting him. I think they were truthful with him and just said, hey, it's between you and Avery Johnson. And it's kind of kind of be the first come, first serve for both of you guys. And and uh, I don't think they were uh, really pushing for either one. But I think if they had their... Uh, you know, I, I think uh, Avery Johnson was like maybe 1A and, and Lincoln Kineholz was 1B. But I Johnson is just such is as good of an athlete as Kineholz is. Avery Johnson is probably a more explosive athlete, but Kineholz is probably a better passer uh, um, at this point in his, his progress. So um, Washington's getting a lot of the same. They had the same kind of quarterbacks that they had a choice of from the Midwest. 
and they ended up getting the guy, one of the guys that they wanted, and and uh, I think he's going to be really, really good in this system. Hey, Chris, just you've seen the film, you know, give me your reaction to the quarterback. Well, I think obviously, <laughs> I think, well, I don't know if it's obvious, but it sure feels like the South Dakota connection is one that would appeal to a guy like Kalen DeBoer. He understands, uh, you know, kind of being raised in that in that world and kind of the ethic and the, you know, just kind of the the lunch pale mentality, the blue uh, blue collar mentality and just getting to work and getting after it, I think, is one aspect of this guy's recruitment. I think the other thing is when you look at just the physical intangibles, they're hard to ignore when he's 6'3", 185 pounds, going to get bigger, faster, stronger when he's hooked up with um, Ron McKeefrey at Washington. He's not a dual threat guy. Let's just lay that out right now. He's not a dual threat guy. I think a lot of people look at what he did when they look at just his numbers and the fact that he ran for a lot of yards. But if you watch the tape, most of it's scramble. The only thing that Pierre was doing in terms of the high school, what the, what the high school coaches were asking of him in terms of running was just maybe a draw here and there, maybe, maybe a quarterback lead, but it, it wasn't anything like they were running a lot of uh, inside zone or a lot of um, read situations where he's having to pitch the ball or run. It's it just wasn't that way. He was making a lot of his uh, yards on on uh, through his legs on the ground via scrambling. So I think there's that aspect. So because he, he's very very athletic, as anybody if anybody's seen his basketball stuff, he's dunking guys, posterizing guys at six three, which is which is really good to see. Um, so you're just getting a really really good athlete who has a nice instinct, a nice skill for the position, but is obviously still very very raw at the position and, and it's the perfect kind of piece of clay. I think what, what Scott was alluding to that a guy like Ryan Grubb will be drooling over to, to mold that guy into what they want him to be. Scott, with the addition of Leroy Bryant, it looks like the number they're at right now is 16. Is that what you've got? Uh, yes, 16. And they're going to take at least uh, six more, but I think it's going to be closer to nine more. So I think they finish off right around 25. Yeah. And like I said, you know, we've, it sure sounds like they've got a couple of more in the bag already, you know, that just haven't announced. So uh, we'll be all over that. So uh, anything else on recruiting we need to cover, Scott? No. Um, so today kicks off the the basically the dead period for the next three weeks. Then there's five days, I think, when uh, players can be on campus and for officials or unofficials and for camps and things like that, I don't think Washington's going to have any. They might have some unofficial visitors, but I don't expect them to have any official visitors in. I think the 24th kind of wore everybody out and uh, that weekend just kind of wore everybody out and and stuff. So um, the next uh, open period for uh, uh, high school recruits to be on campus is when the season starts because they can't be in for August and uh, watching, which I think is weird that you can't go and watch practice, but whatever. Um, so, but you can do it in spring, right? Yeah, so I, yeah, yeah. I just don't get it, but whatever. I think maybe the coaches just said, "Hey, we don't want to have to worry about recruits. We want to just get ready for our season." Maybe that's why they they put it in there. I don't know, but anyway, uh, these players. Um, you know, can uh, be on campus for game once games get started for Washington. That's September 3rd against Kent State. So I expect you to see a few guys in there. The the weekend of the um, Michigan State game. What is that? The 17th? Is that the 17th of or 24th? Whatever it is, of September. 
um, that weekend is when you can plan to have quite a, a decent amount of guys. And that's when I think you'll start seeing some official visitors start to trickle back in. Yeah, it's the 17th. Yeah. Yeah. Chris, wrap it up. Yeah, no, I just think that, um, you know, we're starting to see kind of the, the St. Tosh's Day massacre in very, 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 very slow motion over the course of days. But you're, start of see, you're seeing kind of the similar result in terms of getting a lot of different guys in the boat. A lot of momentum has been created. It's interesting because we're recording this on a Friday afternoon. I think, you know, we're, we're talking about more commitments down the road. I think at some point the 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 well will run dry on that because these guys do want to go on vacation. They do want to spend time with their families before August hits. So I, I don't know what the number is in terms of guys that could still commit before uh, kind of that ethereal time frame elapses. I think maybe it could be one or two more, but we'll see. But anyways, when Scott talks about a, a class of almost 25 guys and you could conceivably be at 17, 18, 19 guys before the season starts, and maybe they even get commitments during the during fall camp. You could almost be at 20-plus before the season starts. I think that's an incredible job by the staff of, of reinvigorating the the kind of the, the energy at Washington and uh, getting them back on the map. Now, the, the loyal to the soil thing is still very much out. Jury's out on that still. Um, obviously, I think they've... I think they're still recruiting a lot of guys for 2023 in the area, but I think they've really turned their focus more onto 2024 as they move on. But overall, how could you not be super excited based on what's happened the last week or so in, in terms of Washington's recruiting efforts? It's been crazy and uh, there's still a lot of other stuff going on and just the promo we're running right now for those who aren't subscribers two months for a buck. I mean, if, now's the time to do it you got to buck into it so a dollar for six uh, you know for uh, two months for a dollar and you can keep up with all the recruiting information and what's going on in football basketball and recruiting and if you're looking for the latest updates on what's going on in football uh basketball and recruiting as well as breaking news alerts shoot us a note at husky stadium at gmail.com again that's husky stadium at gmail.com earlier this week we did uh, kjr for three hours we had on coach will conroy so scroll down on the front page and look for the dogman radio on KJR. We had an interesting 15-minute conversation with Will Conroy, who went over all of the basketball guys, the new guys coming in. Uh, also talked to Will a little bit, you know, afterwards. And all the guys are in, and they're starting workouts. And um, I, I think the thing that stuck with me, and I don't know if you guys, it stuck with you guys as much, but uh, when we asked Will about the new guy, Frank Kepnong, the transfer from Oregon, and his description of him was, all man, no boy. And from my understanding, uh, you know, Frank Kepnong out there, as well as Braxton uh, Mia, the transfer from Fresno State, 7'1", 250 pounds. And the guy who's gotten bigger, they say, is Cole Badgema. Cole has actually grown. So a lot of interesting stuff on basketball. They're going to start their runs here pretty quick. Hopefully I can get up and get a sneak peek of when they're doing it. Um, Will Conroy's in the gym with the guys every morning at 5.55. It's just not the college guys, but Isaiah Thomas and a lot of the local um, a lot of the local um, NBA guys are in there as well. By the way, I just saw that Zach Levine signed a five-year, $215 million contract. So those guys are all around up there with UW, and they're working out with the basketball players. And again, that promo, uh, two months for a buck, $2 for a month, and that's on our front page. And that goes through when? Uh, Monday night, Chris? That goes through the 5th of July. 
So, yeah. So, so we'll Tuesday, night. Night. Tuesday night. So. Yeah, Tuesday night. All right. Night. I don't know. When's the fourth? Fourth? Is the fourth Monday. on Sunday or Monday? Monday. <laughs> Monday. Okay, there you go. So, it's yeah. Right. So, it's Tuesday night. All right. That's it for all of us. And uh, just stay tuned. There's still, I mean, it's just still crazy out there. We're just always have our heads on a swivel, especially here lately. So, for all of us at dogman.com, I'm Kim Grenells along with Chris Fetters and Scott Eklund. Go, dogs. Thank <laughs> you.